together and lift your name on high. We thank you that your mercies are new this morning for us today. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are who you are and you call us to be more. And it's in your beautiful, glorious name we pray. Amen. Grab a seat. Good morning. It is good to see your smiling faces, some with masks, some without. But I know you're smiling under masks, so... I saw a video, my kid showed me a video, 
And it said, during this COVID time in masks, how do you know if people are smiling? And in the videos, this guy walking around, and he goes. <laughs> and then he takes the mask off, and it looks ridiculous. It is, it is fun. Um, so you can see someone's smile in their eyes. Um, last week, I was not here. Some of the staff was not here. And we were trying to be as cautious as we could be. Everybody's fine, alive, and doing well, and following all the protocols that they should. And Dave, thank you very, very much for stepping in and singing and playing and leading worship and doing the whole thing. But, well, hey, but don't give him a big head. Calm it down. That's yes. And it's today he's going to tap dance. It's going to be wonderful. The <laughs> no, Dave, thank you very, very much. Um, one announcement in. It will be August 30th and August 31st, which will be a Sunday night and a Monday night. We are going to have Russ Miller, and he wrote the book, The Cost. That's uh, Gary Giltner took a class through this last spring. Um, He is going to be here doing a seminar um, talking about creation, dinosaurs, geology, and all that good stuff. It's an apologist class, and it will be on Sunday night, the 30th, and Monday night, um, the 31st of August. We will be preaching, finishing up Second Peter, and then we're going to do a sermon on Genesis, probably, I still think, on the 23rd, maybe, and the 31st, kind of leading up to that conference, but it would be wonderful. There's no cost, um, so come, even if you came just Sunday night or just Monday night, it would be good um, to see you there. So put that on your calendars, and that's going to be on the website if you need any more information, because I forgot what time it's going to be at. But evening, that'll get you close enough for now. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 119 as we continue our time of worship. Um, Psalm 119, Psalm 19, excuse me. Um, Yeah, I know everybody put their seatbelts on. Reading through the Bible, reading scripture every day, and just full confession, I am now four days behind on the reading scripture app, but I will catch up. Someday, someday, John. I got two done yesterday, but I skipped this morning. I, so that's my confession. Um, but it has been wonderful marching through Genesis and Exodus. And as we kind of head into, we're going to finish the, uh, the law, the Torah, um, this month. And it has been a great joy to be reading and knowing that the body of Christ is we're all reading and feeding together. Um, so Psalm, Psalm 19 was one of the readings, and I would like to read that this morning. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the land, through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey 
and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is, war- is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. One page. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Holy Father, we thank you so much that we can gather together, brothers and sisters, shoulder to shoulder, linking arms, and not just, not just in friendship, but in true fellowship, as we are pursuing you, knowing you, Father, that is our desire, to be holy, to be conformed to the image of your Son, that you do that work in us, Father. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for calling us together. Thank you for this morning, a beautiful day to be with saints. Pray for those at home, Father, that they are doing well. Thank you for their participation in this body. Father, bless our time this morning as we worship you in song, in the word, in giving, and in fellowship. We do all of this for your glory and our good. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.
loves your face Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing to remind us this morning, right? Like we have a good, good father, a father that came and redeemed us from the pits of hell, that we might pour our praise back out to him. What a beautiful savior we have. What a beautiful maker. What a beautiful creator we serve. Go ahead and grab a seat. Morning. Can you believe it? Since April 19th, we have been studying Peter's letters. Peter wrote his first letter to believers and churches scattered throughout five provinces in what is now modern-day Turkey, Roman provinces. In that first letter, he encouraged believers to faithfully endure persecution coming from outside the church. Sound familiar? Am I determined that you remember these things as much as it's possible? Yes, right? Peter now writes a second letter, right, to the same churches. Why? Because the false teachers who were claiming to be believers were arising from amidst the churches, and, and they pretended to be part of the true church, but they're twisting the scriptures, and they're teaching that Christ will not come back. And they're living lives as if he's not coming back to judge, and they're leading people astray. They're leading people into sin. They're enticing others into sin of all kinds. So Peter writes to warn these churches so that they don't get duped and lose their stability. And he strongly urges them to focus on growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We saw that last week. And living lives that model Jesus to one another and the world around them. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. Our text today really starts in verse 12, but I want to read from verse 1. So 2 Peter chapter 1. And if you're willing, would you please stand in honor of God's word? <clears throat> Let's read it together. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our text today starts here. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that, after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, And we have the prophetic word more firmly, fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word for you today. Let's ask him for help to understand it. Um, Lord, we absolutely are dependent upon you to open your word to us. Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you would illumine our minds and our hearts. Help me to say what you would have me say and nothing else. Help me to get out of the way. Let your word be preeminent that we might fall deeper in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, the Holy Spirit, through Peter, encourages you and us together to remember three essential truths. Three essential truths. Now, there's more than that in this book, but in this passage that we're looking at today, there are three essential truths that will anchor you in your faith, foundation you in your faith, and keep you from deception, which is the problem this church is going through at the time that Peter's writing it. And by the way, deceptive teachers are arising among Christ's church today. This is happening around us. 
So we need these. And, and so Peter, the Holy Spirit through Peter reminds you and me of three things. And you don't have to write these down now because I'll give them to you and repeat them to you. You know that. But the first one is this. We need to pursue Christ-likeness with everything we've got. The second thing he gives us is that Christ will return in power to judge the world. Do not doubt that. Christ will return. And number three, he's going to say we need to pay attention to Scripture as our guide until Christ returns. So let's look at that first one. Peter reminds us to pursue Christ-likeness with everything we've got. Where do I get that? Look at verse 12. Therefore, he points back to the whole beginning, and he says, therefore, I intend to always remind you of these qualities, all those virtues that he listed. To I intend always to constantly, to continually to remind you of these qualities. Now, he's fixing to die soon. So how can he continually remind them of something when he's not there? Well, he's writing this letter, and guess what? We're still being reminded by it today, right? Uh, I want to remind you to keep, to help you keep these qualities, these virtues that we're striving for so that you strive for them, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Think about that. Even though they already knew what he's exhorting them to do, this isn't new, even though they're well-grounded and truly committed to the truth, why would Peter think that it's necessary to constantly remind them about what they already know? Why? Pardon me? We're you, oh, there, oh, there's something about being human that we forget, right? Exactly. Reminders are necessary because we easily forget what's most important. Fellas, anniversaries? That ever, no? Good, good. All right. Remember, one Bible scholar, and I forget which one because I read a bunch this week, but he said this, and I thought it was kind of cool. Memory fades fast when the pressure's on or when something new or attractive in terms of teaching comes along. But there's another reason reminders are necessary, because the most important things in life require constant reemphasis to be fully appreciated. They require constant re-emphasis so that we fully appreciate them. Example, my wife, my lovely wife, she appreciates regular reminders of my love for her. Am I right? Yes, there we go, confirmation. She needs to hear me say, I love you regularly. I love you. Okay. There we go. She also needs to experience my affection for her frequently so that she can enjoy and rest in the truth that I really do love her, right? And that my heart belongs to her alone. I notice Jason has his, has his arm around his wife. He's, that, that's what's happening right now. He's reaffirming his love for her. Um, that reaffirmation is necessary. You know, I kind of joke, you know, some guys are like, <clears throat> honey, on the day we got married, I told you I loved you. And if anything changes, I'll let you know, you know? <laughs> You've probably known some guys that maybe had that. Maybe they wouldn't think it that way, but, you know, you know I love you, so I don't need to tell you. Well, baloney. Not true. If a wife or husband didn't receive regular reminders and affirmations of their mate's love, it would be very easy to wonder just how strong that love really was. There we go. I'm seeing hugs. That works. Nice. Application. Well done. It would, it would make it far more difficult without those affirmations to believe down deep that love was truly strong. Fellas, if you don't believe me, just your next anniversary, do absolutely nothing and see how your wife experiences your marriage. Right? 
Reminders are necessary not just because we forget about what's important, but they're also necessary because the most important truths deserve and require constant re-emphasis to be fully grasped, to be fully appreciated, to be fully appropriated. appropriated. And that's why Peter says in verse 13, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. It's my duty, that's the idea, as long as I'm in this body, and he actually uses the word tent, he's referring to the temporariness of our physical bodies. As long as I'm still alive and kicking, I intend to stir you up by way of reminder. And the word stir means almost to wake you up, almost to, you know, like you poke a kid in the side that was sleepy and didn't want to get up. That's what he's, that's what he's referring to. I want to remind you, I want to wake you up and cause you to think again and again and again about these things. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Since I know, this is, this is another reason that Peter feels so very urgently about reminding them. The, because the putting off of his body, his tent, this temporary dwelling in which his spirit it, it presently was inhabiting when he's writing the letter, will be soon. What is he saying? I, I'm fixing to die soon. I know my life is going to be long. It will take place without delay. The end of my life is coming swiftly. How does he know this? Well, look what he says. As our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So either, I can only think of really two ways. Either Jesus specially spoke to him, specially revealed to him that he was going to die soon uh, just recently, or in John 21, verses 18 and 19, after restoring Peter to ministry, you remember when Peter had denied Christ, Christ had died, been resurrected, and then he calls Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times, right? He restored into ministry. The next thing Jesus said was this, truly, truly, I say to you, he's speaking directly to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by which kind of death he would glorify God. And history records that Peter died by crucifixion at the hands of the Romans. So Peter, at this point, is in his 60s, maybe his 70s at this point. In that day and time, that was, that was quite old. Um, Peter knows that his time is short, and he knows how important it is to remind them of key truths. And so look at verse 15. Understand the force, the, 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 the strength of what he's saying here. I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Notice, he uses the words, I will make every effort. And they mirror the very same words, every effort we need to apply to living holy lives, which we looked at last week. So that we don't become ineffective, unfruitful, and forgetful. Remember back in verses 5 through 8? He told us, for this very reason, make every effort, same words, to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control. Self-control is steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When these Christ-like qualities are abundant in our lives, They confirm our salvation, and they keep us from falling, and they show that we are true citizens of heaven. These things are so important that Peter makes every effort himself to remind us. So that even today, long after Peter went to be with the Lord, he is reminding us through his letter, which the Holy Spirit caused him to write. It's that important. 
Peter reminds you and me to pursue Christ-likeness with everything we've got. At the end of this sermon, I'll stop, and I want to deal with the heart that can do that without turning it into soul-killing law. But we'll get there at the end, okay? How you view pursuing Christ-likeness and godliness in the Scriptures is key to whether or not you enjoy it and are successful or not. We'll get there at the end. Peter reminds us of a second thing. What is it? That Christ will return in power to judge the world. Look what he says. Uh, now remember that false teachers who had formerly claimed to be part of the churches deny the, the coming return of Jesus Christ to judge the world. And to do this, they, they had to twist the Old Testament scriptures who spoke of Christ coming to judge the world. Look at uh, Psalm 2, 7 through 12. God the Father speaks to Jesus the Son in Psalm 2. And listen to what he says. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We also see a similar passage in Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Behold, this is the father once again speaking to the son of the son. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit in him and he'll bring forth justice to the nations. Skipping down, he will not grow faint nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and, his coastland, and the coastlands wait for his law. Christ is going to, he's returning to establish justice on the earth. He's coming to judge. But the false teachers twisted these Old Testament scriptures and they denied that Jesus is coming back. But Peter and the other apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit, taught the truth of what the Old Testament scriptures were saying. How do I know that? Well, back in 1 Peter, verses 6 through 12, Peter actually said that he taught them. And what did he teach them? In verse 6, he says, Though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ is coming back. Right? And then he goes on to say, in verse 10, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, and then he goes on in verse 12 to say, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. Who is that? The apostles. So do you see what they're doing? They're preaching the second coming of Christ from the prophetic word of the Old Testament and sharing it with believers. But the false teachers had to twist that to say that Christ is not coming back. So notice the Old Testament prophets predicted Christ's return and also notice the apostles explained the true meaning of those Old, Old Testament prophecies. But Peter still had another reason to preach the truth of Jesus' future coming in power and glory. Listen to what... Uh, Peter, his reason is that he was an eyewitness of a special revelation of Christ's power and glory. You're going to see that. Look at verse 16. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we, 
Who are the we here? It's Peter, James, and John. We're eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Can you imagine what that was like? Hmm. Well, let's back up. Verse 16. For we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. We, the apostles, did not follow cleverly devised myths. We're not like the false teachers who, who sneakily fabricate falsehoods, who slyly concoct stories, ingeniously invent tall tales, who lie, saying that Jesus will not return in power. Because we made known to you, Peter says, he's reminding them about what, it, what they already know. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the words power and coming really belong together. It's probably better translated the powerful coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not talking about when he first came. It's talking about when he's coming back to judge. The powerful coming of Jesus Christ. The words, uh, this is, frankly, this, this is the key phrase in verses 16 through 18. And, and, and what it's saying is Christ will return in power to judge the world. Now, if I jump a little bit ahead to 2 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, Peter actually tells us what the false teachers are saying. He says, know, first, know this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. What did they scoff? They follow their own sinful desires and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing changes. Jesus is coming back. Live like you want. No judgment is coming. Back in verse 16 in our passage, we did not follow cleverly devised myths like these false teachers when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They had a special revelation from God. And just before this special revelation happens, and it's, it's on the Mount of Transfiguration, and we'll see that in just a second, Jesus makes a promise to his disciples in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, before he takes them up on the mountain. Here's what he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. Know what happens? He takes the three first-string disciples up on the mountain, Peter, James, and John. That's the very next thing that happens, and this prophecy comes true. Matthew 17, 1 through 8, records it. It's in, it's, in, uh, it's in the three synoptic gospels, but I'll read it out of Matthew 17. I just want you to imagine being here. This is, uh, if, I could, if I could be at one scene in Scripture, this might be it. Peter, uh, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. I wonder how they knew it was them. (laughs) This is before photographs, right? Yeah. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Luke includes in Luke 9.33, Peter didn't know what he was saying. Peter's babbling. He's so blown away. Verse 5 in Matthew 17, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And Luke 9.34 adds that they, they enter the cloud. They're actually surrounded by it. 
It's a glory cloud. And a voice from the cloud said, I wonder what God's voice sounds like. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard heard this, they, they fell flat on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Wow. And in our text, in verse 17, Peter goes on to recount this amazing revelation. And he says, for when he, Christ, received honor, when the Father declared Jesus to be his beloved Son, and when he received glory from the Father, because for a very few moments... The Father glorified Jesus with the very same glory that they shared throughout, before the world existed. See John 17, 5. And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. That's referring to the majestic glory displayed in the cloud. And the Father's voice spoke audibly and directly to Peter, James, and John from the cloud of glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. The father declared his timeless pleasure in and love for his son, love and pleasure which has existed before the foundations of the earth. And he did this, why? To honor Christ. Echoing the very same words the father used to honor the son in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And Peter says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with them on the holy mountain. What made that mountain holy? God showed up. Peter heard the father's voice honoring Christ And he saw the Father glorify Jesus with the very same glory that will be on display to the world when Jesus returns to judge the world. Jesus himself said, Mark 13, 24 through 27, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And the sight of that glory of Christ that Peter saw when Jesus was transfigured before him on the mountain confirmed the Old Testament prophets' predictions that Christ will return to judge the world. That's why he says in verse 19, And we have the prophetic word more firmly confirmed, fully confirmed. In fact, it might be better read, and so we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. You see, when Jesus was glorified for for a few moments on that mountain, it was a foretaste, a down payment of his return. It's the very same glory that will strike fear into every living being who has not trusted Christ when he comes again. Why? Because he comes to judge. And it's the same glory which will cause the saints, I don't want to do this because I'll make but to leap for joy. Can you imagine? 
If somehow that Christ came back right now, we saw him. Revelation 1.7 says this, Behold, Christ is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. That's referring to people that don't believe. Christ's transfiguration confirms that prophecies that Jesus is coming back. So not only does Peter remind us that we've got to pursue Christ-likeness with everything we've got, not only does he remind us that Christ will return in power to judge the world, but he reminds us of another thing from verses 19 to 21. To pay closest attention to Scripture as your guide. Look what he says in verse 19. And or and so, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until when? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Literally, it says something like this. We have more sure the prophetic word. We possess the scriptures that are proven to be even more reliable. Why? Because the transfiguration of Christ proved it, that the prophets were right. We possess the scriptures that are proven to be even more reliable. God's word will not disappoint you. You can rely on the Bible. It's true. And that's why he says, to which you will do well to pay attention. We need to pay attention to the word, to give heed to it, to follow it, to live by it. Why? It's true. And it's our privilege to discover greater joy in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as we get to know our triune God better and better, I hope you understand that the greatest motivation to read God's word is the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God that causes us to love him. We love him because he first loved us. And that, that drives us to get to know him, to, to be in his word. Why? Not because of rules and regulations, but because of relationship. It's our privilege to experience the assurance of our salvation and the full hope of our future home with Christ as we grow in obedience. He says, you will do well to pay attention to God's word as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Psalm 119, 105, you know this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This world is growing steadily darker and darker. Anybody read the news this morning? Yet God's word lights up our way and guides our lives so we don't stumble and fall even in the midst of the struggles that we're going to face in this world. How long do we want to do this? How long do we want to pay attention to God's word like a lamp shining in a dark place? Well, how about this? Until it's no longer dark. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What does that mean? Well, Peter encourages us to keep paying attention to the word as our guide until the day dawns. That's picturing Christ's return as a light flooding this dark world. That's going to happen. The morning star rises in your hearts. That means the joy every believer will experience when Jesus, our bright morning star, Revelation twenty two sixteen, 16, returns. We must pay close attention to Scripture. Why? Because until Christ returns, the Holy Spirit has given it to us as our guide. And it's by his word that he leads us. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
Knowing this, first of all. Knowing this above all. Especially know this. This, this next statement he's outlining with these words, it's super important. We, we need to grasp what he's going to say here. What does he say? No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Notice the words, comes from and produced. What is he talking about? The source of God's Word. The source of prophecy. Peter's explaining the source of God's Word, the prophetic writings. He's saying it doesn't come from the minds of men. Even though the Holy Spirit worked through men to write it. He says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the biblical definition of prophecy. This is what prophecy is. The prophets who recorded the scriptures, they weren't robots. They weren't merely taking dictation. But the infinitely powerful Holy Spirit, who is the source of all prophecy, the source of all scripture, he moved them. He caused them to follow his direction so that even though they prophesied and wrote in their own vocabulary with their own words, those words were at the very same time the words of the Spirit. Precisely. I'm trying to think, how else can I illustrate this? Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. Let me take you to Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 17. This is the best other explanation of how prophecy works in all of Scripture. And it's amazing. Remember, um, God called Moses to speak for, on his behalf to Pharaoh and to Israel, right? And, and, uh, and Moses was fearful. Why? Because he couldn't speak very well, right? Um, at least he thought he couldn't. He was worried that he'd mess it up, right? And, and, and so God accommodates his weakness and, and explains to him how prophecy works. Look at Exodus 4.10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, I'm sovereign over over your mouth. It's not a big deal for me to help you say things right. Now, therefore, I will be with your mouth. That's a promise, right? You're not going to get it wrong. Because I'll be with your mouth. I'll keep you from messing it up. I, I, will be, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And of course, Moses is like us. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now listen to this. This is the best explanation of prophecy. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. Speaking the words of God to Aaron. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak to you, for you, to the people. And he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. So notice what's happening. Here's how prophecy works. Normally you don't need Moses in the middle. (laughs) God gives the words to Moses, guards his mouth, so that he might share them without error. But notice, because Moses was afraid, Aaron comes in, and then God says, now you give the words to Aaron, and by the way, I'm with your mouth, so you get it right, and Aaron will share it, and he'll get it right, because I'm with his mouth too. That's how prophecy works. God gives the words, and he preserves 
their integrity by guarding the transmission of those words out, whether it be spoken or written. That's why we believe as Christians in the verbal inspiration of Scripture. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is God-breathed, theonoustos. All Scripture is God-breathed. Even though the writers of Scripture, you can see their personalities are evident. Peter writes different than Paul, writes different than John. The Holy Spirit doesn't override the personalities of the writers. He works with them and uses them. Even though their personalities are different and they're different styles of speaking and writing, they actually have different content in their vocabulary. Every every single word that they said and subsequently wrote was precisely what the Holy Spirit directed them to write. That's why he says they spoke from God in our text. They spoke from God. And that's why Peter has been pointing us to our great need for God's word for the whole last 21 verses. Why? Because through it, we come to know God and re- receive his divine power for life and godliness because through it, we are daily reminded of his love for us and purposes for us as his children. How many of you need to know every day how much God loves you? I'm telling you, the gospel is just as much for believers as it is for unbelievers because I need to, I need to it's so easy for me to forget. I need to be refreshed in the depth of his love Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Right? How great the Father's love for us. We sing about it because we need to hear it. In just the same way my wife needs to know she's loved. But let me tell you, you have a greater need to know that your God loves you. You do. Through God's word, we're daily reminded of his love, his purposes for us, as we behold him in his word, as the Holy Spirit illumines it to our minds, causes us to welcome it into our hearts. We will live more and more for Christ. We'll have more and more joy in him, and we'll become so anchored in this truth that we won't be uprooted by false doctrine, persecution, or suffering. So, summing up, First Peter, or Second Peter, chapter 1, 12 through 21, we've seen that the Holy Spirit, through Peter, encourages us to remember three things. Pursue Christ-likeness with everything you've got. Jesus Christ is coming back. Pay attention to Scripture as your guide until he gets back. That's the end of sermon. But I had somebody tell me this week, and they're right. When you say that, Dave, you're not done. (laughs) So end of that part of the sermon. But I want you to think about something. Because maybe you struggle with getting into God's Word. It happens. I certainly have in my life. But I, I want to think, I want you to think about how this, what we're talking about, applies to you personally. Since pursuing Christ's likeness requires that we grow in the knowledge of our God, which is only found in his word, and since the promises of Christ's return, which is our great hope, are only found in the Bible, And since scripture is designed to guide our life both individually and as a church until Christ returns, how should we approach the Bible? How should we approach the Bible? May I suggest to you that how you view God's word may determine whether your approach is healthy or not. A little bit about my past. I used to be a Pharisee. If you see those guys that Jesus is always getting angry at, 
That was me. I used to view the Bible as a list of rules and regulations. Um, external things that I needed to do to earn God's approval. Things I needed to know, information I needed to assimilate. Verses I needed to memorize, and I read it, even read it lots, but I struggled mightily because it was, for me, it was a very dry experience. I wasn't finding or seeking joy in Jesus, in his word. So I put in my time, I I read my chapter or chapters every day. I, I notched my Bible belt, and I didn't grow very much, and I really didn't look forward to reading God's word. Um, it was a drudgery to me. I, I, I didn't look forward to it, and the funny thing was, I constantly felt guilty, right, uh, because I couldn't motivate myself to keep checking the box all the time. Don't raise your hand, but if you've ever been there, you understand. Um. I kept missing the point. And while the Bible does contain rules and guidelines for life, there's no question about that, and they help us flourish, it contains much that you and I really do need to know, information that we really do need to assimilate into our hearts, verses that we should memorize. Why? So that the Holy Spirit can call them to our minds and our hearts in times of need. And we should be disciplined in our regular Bible reading. All those things are true. And here's the key. We really need to see and approach the Bible as a feast of life-giving and life-changing truth. A feast of life-giving and life-changing truth in which you and I can, with the Holy Spirit's help, come to know the one who loved us so much that he gave his life for ours and to know his Father who loves us too, see the very tail end of John 17, and to know the Spirit who indwells us and pours God's love into our hearts. We need to see in God's word a daily opportunity, not a drudgery, an opportunity to fall deeper in love with Jesus again, to marvel at the Father and his plan of salvation, to know the comfort of the Spirit, to take joy in Jesus as the supreme treasure of our lives, to savor and be blown away at the manifold perfections of God as he lays them out in the scripture. We need to experience the Spirit's illumination when he over and over again opens our minds to understand the word, to love it, to welcome it, and to apply it into our lives. And then, the amazing thing is then we receive encouragement, we receive correction, we receive healing, we receive correction, conviction, to be changed as he works through his word in our heart and mind, to be changed in our desires and our actions, and to actually be able to see our lives change. I don't know about you. I'm a hard nut to crack. It's hard to change Dave, and I certainly can't change myself. But when I see God working through his word and actually changing me, I'm not the same guy I used to be. Now, I'm not what I need to be yet, but I'm getting there. Not because of me, because of him, right? If you know me very long, you'll know I'm not there yet. But there is great joy when you see that God is transforming you, something only he can do. There is joy there when you see that no longer are you walking the same paths that you used to walk. You don't struggle with the same besetting sins that you used to struggle with. Oh, what joy to know freedom from the sins of the past. And oh, what an experience of God's kindness that even 
when the word disciplines us, the spirit through the word disciplines us, it results in greater satisfaction in him at the end. To become more like Christ today than yesterday. Can I ask you, how do you see God's word? How do you see it? It's really important. How do you see God's word? I pray that you and I would grow in our love for it because through it we come to know him. Through knowing him we experience eternal life and remember what Jesus said in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God has given us his word to know him, to become like him, to show Jesus to the world and to know his love for us. So let's pray. Lord, I ask, I ask for everyone here that you would so bless us with joy, recognizing that your word is meant to bring us joy in you, that it actually brings encouragement and power for living and everything we need. You fill our hearts with your love through your word by your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would have an affection for it that's not driven by obligation, but that's driven by, by love for you and, and your love for us. So I pray that this week, as we open up your word, that we would cry out to you, oh, Father, show us yourself. Remind us how much you love us, that we might love you more. And Lord, would you please Bring that home to our hearts that we might truly rejoice as we feed on your word and are satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen.
day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Beloved, that is your charge this week, to deeply love those in your circle, whether it's on FaceTime, (laughs) or it's in your car group, or it's the cashier that's been putting up with crummy people all day. (laughs) Declare his marvelous deeds. We will see you next week.